turn, turn your Bibles to Psalm 77. Um, but this might have been uh, maybe a counterintuitive choice um, for some of you. You might have expected Matthew 6 or Luke 12 or Philippians 6, perhaps. Uh, Philippians 4, 6. Um, the, the, this passage doesn't doesn't directly mention anxiety in the same way. These aren't the great do not be anxious passages. And I didn't want to go there because there aren't any silver bullets for our anxiety. Memorizing do not be anxious, memorizing Philippians 4, 6, doesn't take all your troubles away. In fact, I find that these passages that maybe are a little uh, out of the ordinary, that we can, we can see how God speaks to anxious folks in places that maybe we wouldn't expect. Because there aren't any silver bullets, this is a, a struggle. This is going to be a battle. This is going to take time. And I want to encourage you, if you are struggling with anxiety, please be patient with yourself. Don't expect that, hey, I read Psalm 77. I went to that anxiety seminar. I memorized Philippians 4, 6. Now all my troubles are gone. For most of us, these will be lifelong battles that, that we, we strive and we fight, and hopefully we see growth and grace. We will. God promises to do that, but there will still be hard times. So turn with me to Psalm 77. I want to uh, look at that passage together. This is a passage that has been helpful for me even this week as I was preparing. It has been a comfort to my soul. And oftentimes when I'm counseling with folks, the passages that, that come to mind, the passages that I share are passages that I've just been, been regularly engaging with on my own. If we learn to read God's word well, we will see hope for the sufferer. We will see hope for those who are anxious in, in places like Psalm 77. So let me uh, read the first couple verses there. And uh, last time, if you were at the uh, seminar for lay counselors and advocates, we talked about Exodus 14, 14. Um, this is hope for, the, for our anxiety. It comes in different genres. Psalms are, are these, these, these songs, these poems, these speaking to God. Exodus 14 is the narrative of, of the Israelites are being chased by, by uh, the Egyptians. They're cornered by the Red Sea. They think they're going to die. They say, why wouldn't you just leave us in, in, in Egypt to die? But God says to them, be still and I will fight for you. There's, we've got narrative, we've got psalms like this, we've got Jesus' own words in the gospels, we've got the epistles like Philippians 4, 6. Hope for the, for the sufferer in this context is throughout God's word. But let's look at Psalm 77 together. Um, I think there are kind of four big movements in the text. And I'm going to start with verse 1 to look at the first. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So in these first three verses, verses one through three, I think the first big point for us is to cry out to God. Wes talked about that, that we're, we're supposed to ask and really ask. And that's what you see the psalmist doing here. He's crying aloud. He, his, his, he's, he's speaking honestly and openly about where he's at, about the depth of his struggle. We see more of that in the, the next few verses. Verse four, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. 
That's that, that sleeplessness that we described earlier. This, I hope this resonates with your experience. The psalmist, the, the, this was written thousands of years ago, yet we still have that same heart. And if we jump back up to, to verses two and three, the, the verbs here, even like the I cry aloud, that, that's, that's, that should really be in the past tense. I cried aloud, kind of telling us that this is a long-term struggle. This isn't something that, that, that just comes in, it's, it's not here today and gone tomorrow. This is gonna be a lifelong battle and struggle for us. That's what we should be expecting here. He continues by describing more about his, his fear and anxiety. Read with me in verse 10. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. It's kind of a confusing two verses there, but let me summarize it for us. The psalmist is saying, I'm examining my own heart and trying to, trying to see what's going on there. What am I really afraid of? What, what really am I doubting? What are those functional unbeliefs that we have? And then he tells us in verses seven through nine, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Here the psalmist names those doubts. He put, I promised Wes and I didn't talk about this that we were trying to coordinate, but he's doing that. He's naming the specific fears. He's naming these are the things that I really doubt and these are serious. Will will, Will God never be favorable to me? Does God love me at all? Is God good? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Even the last, last phrase, has he in anger shut up his compassion? Is God against me here? When we know that is not the case. But that's how the psalmist feels. That, I think that resonates with us. Is that in those times when we're afraid, there are some significant functional doubts, some functional unbeliefs that we are wrestling with. You are not alone. The the psalmist feels that too. Sorry. If the psalm was to end here, that'd be a tough day. But by God's God's grace, there is more to the story. Verse 10 is the hinge. So in verses 1 through 3, we see the psalmist crying out. In verses 4 through 10, we get a description. We get a, a picture of what that anxiety is. What are those doubts? But then verse 10, there's a significant hinge here. The psalmist says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I think the psalmist is is making an intentional choice here. He's saying, stop, hold on. I won't dwell in this anxiety. I will not dwell in these fears, in these doubts, in these feelings. But instead, I will make a conscious choice to turn towards God in this way. How does he do that? What does he think about? What does the psalmist remind himself of? Well, we see that in, in the following verses. In verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? 
You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. The psalmist dwells on God's character and God's faithfulness in the past. And these are like big overarching 50,000 foot view statements that we need to have these hidden in our minds. Wes uh, gave the example uh, of having like a cadre of passages of scripture, a cadre of uh, things that, truths about God that we can reflect on and dwell on that we don't need to pull out our Bibles. We don't need to remember that one verse, but instead we remember this is true. God is wise, God is faithful, God loves me. I use the, uh, the illustration of kind of like an arsenal. We're going to battle when we, when we face anxiety. It's gonna be a daily struggle and we need to be bringing an, an arsenal to the table. In these verses, in verses 11 through, through 15, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's giving us these big picture truths about God. And if you turn over just one page in your Bibles, in Psalm 78, you get a whole big long list. You get a, a list of this is who God is, declaring to himself and to others, this is our God. We're reminding ourselves that we do have good reasons to trust. This is the God who we worship and we praise. I think in 11 through 15, you, say, you see those big 50,000 foot view, who is God. In verses 16 through 19, you get real specific. In the last session, in the last seminar that we did, we talked about uh, Israel and the Exodus and being cornered by the Red Sea and the Egyptians on the other side. And in verse 16, uh, the psalmist recounts that story. He reminds us of what's going on there. In verse 16, he says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The psalmist is, is talking about the Red Sea. When, they're, when they've got their backs to the wall, when they feel like all hope is lost, what can we do? We don't have that power, control. We are not infinitely wise, but God is. God does what is unexpected. Verse 17, the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Let me read that last verse again. Let me read verse 19 again. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God can do what we cannot imagine. As the Israelites said, we're going to die in the wilderness today but God did something that they never could have expected. They could not have predicted. God's ways are greater than ours. We need to remind ourselves of that. God works in ways that we cannot expect. Even when, when it seems bleak, even when the situation, it, it seems like all is lost, God is still able to work. Verses 16 through 19 are specifics. They're concrete. They're a specific time and place. Just like how we need to have an arsenal of of big picture statements. God is faithful, God is wise, God is trustworthy, God loves me, God's way is perfect. We, we need to have those 50,000 foot view statements, but we also should have an arsenal of, of boots on the ground in the trenches, reminders of God's faithfulness. The church we were at in Chicago, this might be a little bit over literal, but I, I appreciate it. Um, 
they had a, a giant monument of 12 massive like boulders in the lobby. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but it, it, it was... Um, it was a fountain also, but um, they had these 12 stones that they had all uh, mounted in like a big pyramid kind of thing. And it was picturing af- after Joshua 4 that when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they took 12 stones from the river and they, they, they made a, a little monument there as a reminder of God's faithfulness in this one time. So this, this thing in the church was a, a reminder of God's faithfulness in the life of that body of believers. Specific things. Each stone had like a thing on it. And I don't think you need to have like a, a, a thing in your backyard with like stones and a fountain or anything. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is that you reflect on and you remind yourself of significant things that God has done in your past. Maybe you do have a list of them. Maybe it's every day you're reminding yourself of these good things that God has done. We need to be reminding ourselves because we, like the Israelites, are so quick to forget. There's one more verse here. So verses one through three, you've got crying out to God. Verses four through nine, you get a greater picture of what that anxiety, what that doubt looks like. Verse 10 is our hinge. Verses 11 through 15, reminding ourselves of big picture statements about God. Verses 16 through 19, reminding ourselves of specific statements that God makes to us, specific things that God has done in our lives and our history. He's shown up. Verse 20 kind of seems anticlimactic. We've just talked about God leading the Israelites through the Red Sea, and verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That sounds kind of mundane, and commentators, when they read that verse, they see this is supposed to stand out because it's, it's not this, this grand thing. This is the daily faithfulness of God and God's love and care and concern for you is what motivates these miracles that we just read about. God's love and care leading his flock, leading the little lambs, leading his people motivates him to part the Red Sea, to save them in ways they cannot expect. God's love for you is motivating these things. So Psalm 77 is a passage that, that has stuck with me. It's what, what I often do when I'm reading God's word is I'll, I'll camp out in a particular passage of scripture and I'll stay there for a little while and I'll read it every day and I'll meditate on that so that when I'm later tonight, when I don't have my Bible in front of me and I get anxious, I'll remember parts of Psalm 77. I'll remember that God's footprints were unseen when he parted the waters. We couldn't have expected it. We didn't see what he was doing, but he did it. We need to have that kind of familiarity, that that engagement with scripture that reminds us, that that, that brings us back to God even when things are difficult. So let me give you a a few specific concrete ways that I could see a passage like Psalm 77 being helpful for you I think overall this all fits within the framework of what Wes has described this morning for us. But a few direct encouragements for you. The first one would be cry out like the psalmist. Look at the raw honesty in verses one through nine. When the, the, I can't sleep. God wants to hear you say that. I'm really struggling here so much so that I feel like I can't sleep. Please help me. God hears us when we say, I doubt in in this way and in that way. 
God hears us when we ask for help. This crying, it's, it's a long-term thing. That's why those past tense verbs are important. But God invites us to do that. He does hear us when we cry. I'd also encourage you to be naming your doubts concretely. We talked about that. What are you specifically afraid of? What are those functional unbeliefs? You see that in what the psalmist is doing. Are you really good, God? As believers, I would encourage you that expect some doubt in your life. Doubt characterizes Christians. That's the experience that we're reading about in the Psalms right here. We should expect that. We should be prepared to battle in those areas. Third, I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for the work of God. I think that's changing our perspective. I think that's keeping, uh, maybe it's keeping a list of these 12 big things like our church did back in Chicago. Maybe it's writing down daily things that you are thankful to God for, ways that he has provided. So how would I do this? If, if we were sitting down in front of, uh, if we were sitting down in my office and we were talking about Psalm 77, how would this passage be helpful? What would we be how do we use this passage? And one, I would encourage you to do like, like, like I have been doing with this passage, and I would encourage you to meditate on it daily. Spend time in Psalm 77. Read it every day so that it, it's, God's word has been hidden in your heart. We need to have these regular reminders of truth, and we need to have our brothers and sisters walking alongside us in this context. Ask one person in this room, brother, sister, I am struggling to tr- I'm struggling to trust God and fill in the blank. Can you remind me of fill in the blank? Or even, can you just remind me of truth? There are a couple brothers in the church that I regularly text um, that will be reading scripture and, and just sharing a thought. Um, it, it's, it's not an everyday thing, but it's just as, as God is working in us and those times, we need those drops in the bucket. We need every, every drip adds up we need those buckets to be full of the truth of God's word when our anxiety wants to creep in. So if you're in this room and your, your struggle with anxiety is more mundane, it's more, it's, it's what we've all experienced. It's, it's, I'm afraid of the future and I don't know what to do. And does that person really like me? I would encourage you to continue to meditate upon. This is preventative, men, may, uh, preventative medicine, that's it. Preventative medicine for your walk, your fight for faith. Remind yourselves of these truths. If you're in this room and your struggle is a little bit more intense, particularly those who are struggling with ruminating thoughts, if you are like the psalmist in verse 4 and you're saying, I can't sleep, I'm really, really tired, I feel exhausted, but I can't fall asleep at night, let's talk because that's significant. If we can't sleep, it, we start to spiral. It becomes a death spiral. So let's talk about that. But if you're in that place where ruminating thoughts are a thing for you, if you're saying, you know, I really do struggle in this area, I would encourage you with verse 10. Let me read that again for us. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Your battle is going to be active. And if you let down your guard, you will be in trouble. 
So my exhortation to you is, is from 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we need to take those thoughts captive. Those feelings, those, that anxiety that is a false prophet telling us that the future is bleak, we need to actively be fighting against those things and, and saying that's a lie. So if I can give you one tip for those that really struggle, that these ruminating thoughts, I can't get them out of my head. Identify those thoughts and call them what they are. Those are lies. And instead, do what's, what we see in verse 10. I'm going to make a conscious effort, a conscious choice to embrace these things about God. I'm going to say, that is a lie. This is what is true. That might be an, an, a, a very active moment-by-moment moment fight for you. You're not alone. Your brothers and sisters, they love you. We care about you. We want to help. We'll talk more about this after our break. I'm going to give us a 15-minute break. Please be back in here in your seats by, uh, by 1045.